0: This episode of the Anti-Heroes Podcast with Zach Blair is presented by Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest's best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle and Portland shops, you'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I personally always make a stop at Thunder Road Guitars in Seattle, uh, they're a great bunch of guys, and it's just not a complete Seattle trip unless I go and say hi and see what uh, wonderful stuff they have. These are real people offering real service, folks. Uh, use code ANTIHEROES10 to get 10% off at www.thunderroadguitars.com and tell them I sent you. Hey guys, this is Zach from the Anti Heroes podcast, and I want to welcome our newest sponsor to the show, DistroKid. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms and artists keep 100% of their royalties. Can you believe that? Antiheroes listeners get 30% off at distrokid.com/vip/antiheroes. Again, that's distrokid.com/vip/antiheroes. Thank you so much and support all the folks at DistroKid because they're they're doing amazing work. And we couldn't be happier to have them on board. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. We couldn't be luckier to have these guys on board with us. I personally use these products and you should too. Find out more about them at JimDunlop.com. Let's get on the podcast. Welcome to the Anti-Heroes Podcast with your host, Zach Blair. I am Zach Blair. I think I need to come up with a new intro. Thank you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you a whole lot because I really love doing this. And I really loved doing this on this particular interview because I interview an old friend, Mr. Steph Carter. Steph used to play guitar in the band Gallows, the just amazing British. Hardcore, I mean, I guess you could call them hardcore punk, but they were, they were so much more. They had sort of a tumultuous career. As you will hear, you'll hear the sort of ins and outs of all their, their trials and tribulations and struggles, but they really shot to suit popularity because they were just such a great band and just an amazing live band, sort of anchored by the fact that they had just one of, in my opinion, better frontmen I've ever seen in my life in uh, Steph's brother Frank who now has the band Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes which I strongly encourage anyone checking out now Steph uh, works for Marshall Amplifiers which you don't even have to be a guitar player to know what that is so uh, we get into that we talk a lot about that and how he got his job over there and what he does over there it's really interesting and I'm just I couldn't be more proud of the guy as I say in the interview so I'll shut up here at the start and let you uh, get into my interview with steph carter what's up steph what's up man how you doing how you doing, buddy? I'm good. So I've, I'm sure I've done a huge intro, but for those that don't know, Steph Carter was the guitar player for the celebrated legendary band, The Gallows. Was it Gallows or The Gallows? I always said The Gallows.
1: It, it was just Gallows. Like People okay. always said The Gallows, but it was just Gallows. I
0: think it's a Texas thing with me. You say The everything. Like, <laughs> you know, the blah, 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 blah. But so Gallows, with you and your brother and, and you guys... That band had just a lot of legs and, and it reached a whole lot of people. And it was this thing that it's like most great bands. Like sometimes the energy of the band is so great that it combusts, you know, that yeah. that it, it gets ahead of itself and things just happen so quick for it that it's human nature. You just go, what? And it just implodes. And that kind of happened with, with Gallows, right?
1: Yeah. Like we were, we were a band that was, it was all about the performance and it was all about the explosion on stage. And what you saw on the stage was a bunch of due to at that time in our lives, we were all very different people. And it was the culmination of people feeling angsty, people feeling frustrated, people feeling angry and getting on stage and trying to figure out if we were going to make it to the end of the show every night.
0: <laughs> well, and that, that was a thing. So it was, this was like 2007 and we, gallows rise against a whole bunch of bands we did like a world tour which i don't think really happens much anymore but it was australia japan and europe so it wasn't quite it wasn't quite the world but it was a lot of the world so we were out together for how long was that tour? two months uh yeah we
1: were out together for a while on that one
0: yeah so and every night your brother frank who was a singer basically dared the audience to kill you guys yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like basically took on the. I remember the first. It was maybe the first night in Australia. Your brother started the show with just telling Australia that every one of them in that crowd was the prisoners of England. Like you were the worst people from England, and they yeah. got voted off the island essentially, and that now now they're on this prison island. It, it was. And that was kind of every night. Yeah,
1: that, <laughs> that was. It was that, awesome. w- that was the way that most shows went for us. It was let's just see who we could pick a fight with in the audience, and yeah, let's just get people riled up from the word go. And then by the time we left, everyone was either having a great time or everyone was ready to kill each other. It was one of the two.
0: And it was great. It was always great to <laughs> to watch. But man, what a great band! I remember being so like sort of. Um, disenchanted with what was being called punk rock at that point and uh, what was passing for punk rock. I think I've been sort of disenchanted with what's passed as punk rock since like the nineties, you know, Um, it's gotten into this thing that it's just personal taste, but then to have a band come along that actually was dangerous again and was sort of playing by their own rules and sort of didn't really sound like anyone and just doing their own sort of thing was really refreshing
1: that's that's really good to hear. And I mean that that means a yeah. lot coming from you as well, you know. I like, think. But yeah, for, for us it was it was all about just being the most authentic us that we could be. You know, we every single one of the band had such a, a wide varied music tastes coming in together that we kind of took a little bit of influence from so many different places and it amalgamated in this very, very British sounding American hardcore influenced European punk band.
0: <laughs> right. And that's what was genius about it because you could definitely tell there was an American hardcore influence, but you weren't a British band desperately trying to sound like an American hardcore band because I've heard that too. And it's real obvious. Yeah. You were a British band that had American hardcore influence, but you were still very British and to a point of where and it's sort of hard to quantify what that sounds like or what that is. But... There's no way an American band could have sounded like Gallows. There's no fucking way.
1: No, I I don't think so. And I think if we tried to go down the route of sounding like an American hardcore band, the band never would have taken off because people would have just seen straight through it because it was absolutely when, when you're authentic about it, you've got a level in there where people get to buy into the fact that they believe in it because you believe in it yourself. And if you don't believe in what you're doing and you're trying to be something that you're not, people see straight through it.
0: Well, I think that's such a, that's such a, a good way to put that. Like for instance, say refused were basically at first trying to do like a New York hardcore or, a, or an American hardcore sort of thing. They even weigh the way they dressed in those old photos and stuff, but there was still something very Swedish about even their earliest stuff. And then of yeah. course we all know what they turned into. And then basically ended up being a band that every band tried to repeat and no one did well enough because of what you're saying. They were, Very Swedish, but with all these influences on their shirt sleeves and just coming through a very Swedish lens. And you guys had the same thing where it was just coming through with a very British thing. And it's kind of like, you know, where I'm from, Texas, there's so many bands that do like metal, but it's very Texas. So it comes out as Pantera or it comes out as, you know, uh, Power Trip or whatever it might be. Anyway. I'm getting ahead of myself. So, like I said, your brother was in the band. He's in. We're supposed to be talking about guitars, which will definitely get into. That was another thing. Even before I knew you, I always liked your guitars. I was like, I'm man, excellent. that kid. <laughs> that kid knows his guitars because I was a fucking guitar dork as well. What started you playing guitar?
1: I heard Oasis. Yeah, I heard Noel Gallagher playing like "What's the Story Morning Glory"? That whole record, and I was like, fuck that that's a guy that knows how to make a guitar sound massive, but there's melody in there. Yep. You can hear the clarity of what he's playing. There's notes in there. There's rhythms in there. And it, I just kind of fell into it. And I was like, this is fucking awesome. And then I kind of, I fell down this rabbit hole of like, they were kind of my entryway into into heavier music. And that, it's funny to say that now, because Oasis are not the heaviest band in the world by a long shot. But it was kind of that, that was the thing that got me into it. My mum's a dance teacher my dad's a saxophonist um, oh, okay. and i just remember one year i was like right i think i want to do this music thing like i've seen this band play and i've heard this record that's just completely and utterly taken me by storm i was like these guys get to go and do that for a living that's their job right. and i'm right. like why why would i not be able to do that surely i can give this a go and then i was like fuck i need to learn how to play an instrument so i was like Mum, dad i want a guitar for christmas and my dad was like i'll buy you a guitar and he bought me a keyboard and was like you learn to play that and i'll buy you a guitar so i learned to play one song on the keyboard i got one of those like casio keyboards yeah where it's got a tiny little screen on it and you push the demo button on the song and it shows you what notes to play on the screen so i learned Pachelbel's Canon, <laughs> like <laughs> a proper sketchy ghetto version of Pachelbel's Canon, by following this tiny little LED screen on this yeah. Casio keyboard, and I learned to play that one song. Still, the only song I know how to play on a piano today is just Pachelbel's Canon. That's it. And I was like, right, I'll get that, and I played it, and I was like, right, I've learned the song. Dad, I really want a blue <laughs> Squire Telecaster. That's what I wanted. It's like, yeah. that's what I want. I want a blue Telecaster, and they bought me a strap, <laughs> <laughs> which is like it's the polar opposite guitar, but not at the same time. And I, I loved it, and it was like it was my my thing, and I, I fell into playing it, and then I started to. At the same time, I got the strap. Deftones became a big part of my life, and I learned every single Deftones riff that I could possibly learn, and at the same time, like my, my full name is Stephen Carter, and as soon as I got the Strat and I started playing Deftones riff my brother was like you know their guitar player is called Steph Carpenter so I'm just going to call you Steph Carter from now on I was like okay, <laughs> fair enough. So that's you got it of, that's how it fell into it and that was it and you know I, I went through a, a phase of learning every Deftones riff I could learn and then learning every Smashing Pumpkins song I could learn went to see the Smashing Pumpkins playing Wembley when I was like 14 and it blew my mind yeah and then that was it It just led me on this journey to fucking talking to you today wow man you know smashing pumpkins jesus christ i know a lot's been said
0: about smashing pumpkins but i saw them because i'm how, how old are you now 37 okay i'm easily 10 years older than you but i saw them in the 90s on their way up and they were opening for oh god Soundgarden on the bad Motorfinger tour i believe yes um yeah and uh it was also like pearl jam were the first band so and then smashing pumpkins and then and i also saw smashing pumpkins on that same year i believe they came back through with red hot chili peppers which i i really just went to go see but anyway god what a fucking amazing band they still are yeah and what an amazing guitar player i mean it was even back then i was like man there aren't really guitar heroes i mean in the classic sense you know yeah. even at that point and he, he was you know corgan was definitely that then and i, I would he's definitely is now but yeah man
1: hundred percent and i remember like going to that show and it was it was one of the coolest things i've seen melissa aftermer was playing bass for them at the time that i went to see them mm-hmm. as well james i was playing guitar for him and like i remember years later we were played south by southwest like must've been 2007. So it must've been that same year we did that world yeah. tour. And I remember being at this show and we did like, we did this show where it was like gallows and Amy Winehouse, which is the world. show. I remember show. that. I
0: wasn't there, but I remember that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so we ended up doing that show and I, I remember playing and looking up and I was like, fuck me, that's James I from the smashing pumpkins. This is the weirdest thing ever. And then I was like, fuck, that's Tom Morello. This is the strangest experience <laughs> of my life. And then I was like, And that's fucking Amy Winehouse is playing next. Like, how did I get from watching Smashing Pumpkins in Wembley Arena to fucking standing on stage playing in front of James Iyer before Amy Winehouse? (laughs) You know
0: why I remember that? It's because I live in Austin, Texas, of course. And I remember that year I was on tour because Rise Against that year. That was my first year in Rise Against. So that was 2007. I I had joined in January and we were gone nine months that year, 10 months. It was, it was gnarly. It was just gnarly. And I remember you guys playing and a a bunch of my friends were at that show and a bunch of my, you guys played a few times that year. Yeah. We played like
1: three or four.
0: That's what I thought. And, and of course your brother did your brother's thing and just destroyed the place and made like press. And so the pictures from that year was just your brother in the middle of the floor everywhere. (laughs) And, and, then I met you guys and we toured together later that year. And I remember going, dude, you were that band that fucking tore up Austin. So yeah, I (laughs) I totally remember that. Going back to what you said about Oasis, I think that's awesome because, you know, to you, it is heavy. To you, Oasis have a happy element and they have major key songs and things like that. But for the most part, it does hit you. they're not a they're not a total yeah they're
1: not a total feel-good band you know they're like big wall of sound recordings like if you listen to any of the remastered versions of like what's the story morning gloria definitely maybe it's just layers upon layers upon layers of riffs and guitars and like i listened to the the reissue one not that long ago after i got like my in-ears and i remember putting it on i was like i've never heard this record before because i was hearing I'd never heard and it's fucking layer upon layer of amazing riffs just with really great guitar tones and yeah for like a 14 year old kid or like a 12 year old kid in england at the time where they were kind of blowing up i was like this is rock and roll music this is what yeah. it is and it's you know you look at it now when you compare what rock Whatever rock and roll means to people today. For 14-year-old, 12-year-old me, they were like the epitome of rock and roll. The two brothers who had this massive feuding relationship on and off the stage. Which I was about, about to fine, say that. <laughs>
0: yeah. There's so many parallels. Yeah. There's so many parallels, you know. Yeah,
1: one of them is the lead singer, one of them's a guitar player, and like they both have this energy on stage. And that maybe that was it. It's just that was the, the vision I saw for me and my brother in the future. Like, I don't fucking know yeah. what it was. but that was it they were this big huge band that ended up being one of the biggest bands in the world and then it ended in a giant explosion and like (laughs) now both dudes are doing their own thing and it's amazing to see and i'm i'm still waiting for this reunion to happen it's gotta happen at some point and those shows would be amazing
0: well i mean i mean it's funny i was talking to my best friend about this the other day he was like the world's biggest oasis fan and bonehead is playing with liam yep already playing with Liam, so there's three of the original. I don't even care if it's the original lineup, yeah. you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, by the end of it, it wasn't the original lineup anyway, you know? It's like, exactly. You just need those two dudes on a stage together playing those songs that they're both playing on their own, on their own tours. Just come on, just do it. It's like,
0: and, you know, The Who aren't really playing anymore so they could get Zack Starkey back and, yeah. you, you know, I, I don't know. Anyway, but – I, you know, I think that's that's also really cool what you just said. It's, it's like, here's a British kid getting introduced to rock and roll music and actually having the thought, this is rock and roll music from Oasis, where I'm sure their version of that was, you know, Rolling Stones, The Who, you know, whoever, or even even Paul Weller, who actually Noel Gallagher said a thousand times that that was his guy yeah. and saying like, this is rock and roll music. And then they did it for another generation, which is probably what they, exactly what they set out to do in the first place.
1: You know? Yeah. I mean, they've got, you know, you, you look at it and you look at most people who picked up a guitar. I guarantee a lot of people from the UK who were around my age that picked up a guitar when I picked up a guitar were influenced by Noel Gallagher. Same Absolutely. as dudes in the mid nineties who were picking up a guitar in America. i probably picked it up because of Slack.
0: There was the Slash guys and there was Kurt Cobain guys, the guys that were like, I'm never going to be a lead guitar player, but I can change the world with a bar chord. And they did, you know, and he did. And to this day, I I hear, you know, that Dave Grohl still has like a disdain for lead guitar solos. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not the aesthetic. It's just not, you know, whatever is in there. Wow. Yeah. It's revelatory, really. And that's what makes this whole thing so great. Like what we do. So Gallows sort of imploded. I know you guys um, made, was it a record or just an EP with our friend Wade from uh, Alexis did, on Fire?
1: So when I was still in the band, we did we did an EP. So Frank Frank and I did two records together. Um, we did Orchestra of Walls. I kind of joined the band after Orchestra of Walls had originally been recorded in its first instance. Like there, there were so many things that had happened during the band to that point. And Frank had a pretty... Um, tumultuous relationship with being in the band for a lot of his time you know he was when we were doing the gallows thing he hadn't quite embraced being a rock star i don't want to say being a rock star but you know he hadn't quite embraced what that life could be for him he's doing it much more now and he he's found a happy place and he's in a good spot for himself which i'm really stoked about but at the time he hadn't quite figured out what he wanted to do. He was always into tattooing and he was always into artwork and that's where he wanted to be. He wanted to be a tattooist. So yeah. during the recording of orchestra of wolves in the first instance, I got a phone call one day from lags and he was just like, Frank's quit the band. We need to record vocals to finish the record. Can you come in and record backing vocals for four songs so we can finish the record? And I was like, uh, okay, sure. So when it did that recording and then one thing led to another, I ended up playing in the band for, eight years or so after but we did orchestra wolves we did great britain together and then during the touring cycle for great britain frank decided to leave and then i decided to stick out the band so i did an ep with wade and then we did one more record with wade so we did an ep that we recorded with um, joby from the bronx out in right out in la wade flew down we all met in la we spent couple of weeks in la writing the songs together and then putting this record together and then we did one more full length the third gallows record which is the self-titled one and then i left the band after that record in like 20 early 2013 and the band has gone on to record one more full length um sometime around 2014 i think and then they haven't really done anything since then
0: so they were officially broken up or are they still sort of, you
1: know? I think it, it, there's still like a band that is active, but I think it's one of those things that it's, it, there were, there were some shows they were supposed to do coming out of COVID, but there were some issues with, I think, wage travel. It was mm-hmm. where there was all the issues around whether you've been vaccinated or not, and you can get in and out of the country. I got So you. there were some issues with that there and, you know, it, it came around and, there were a couple of times or there has been a couple of times where it's been an email comes on. Hey guys, how would everyone feel about doing a reunion tour? And then it's like it bats around with everyone for a little while and then it disappears again. And then a year later it comes back and whether or not it'll ever happen or or not is another story, but you know, it's something that it would be cool to do it again, just to, just to finish it the right way, you know, like rather than it imploding on itself we can draw a line
0: now that Frank is in such a, you know, it's a, has sort of embraced. And, it, and I mean, it famously embraced, like I said, I, we played a festival with those guys uh, last year, maybe year before last. And you can tell he's so uh, he's just so happy to be up yeah. there, you know, and it's, uh, it's great because I honestly feel like your brother's one of the, the better frontmen I've ever seen in my life. He's just such a natural up there. So when I knew, when you told me, or when he had actually told me that, at the first round of the gallows or gallows that it wasn't such a great thing for him. It was really hard to discern because he seemed like he was just owning every crowd that was there, you know, to the point of going, going on after him was like, God damn, you know,
1: (laughs) that was always the goal for us is to put any band that plays after us for like, we got to give them a fucking hard time. Sure.
0: (laughs) You know, and, and fortunately, you know, Tim our singer and rise against has always been up to any challenge. You know what I mean? Like he's, and so it was great. You know, It's great to get challenged. It was great to like, <laughs> oh, let's, you know, that's why we loved you guys' band so much. And we did another
1: tour together, did we not? We did. We did. We did Taste the Chaos together. And then we did when wade was in the band we did a european run of shows with you guys yeah
0: that's Um, that's right
1: and then i think every time we came back through and played in texas you'd always come up and play the end of orchestra of wolves take my guitar take my les paul and then we'd get you to play the end of it while i was jumping around on top of people's heads in the crowd I, I,
0: i totally forgot about that um well anyway that would be great to to see that what you know back to what you were saying What led to your original sort of was it discontent or what what you to you leaving the band in the first place?
1: We kind of we finished Great Britain and it it was such a such a big moment for the band, you know. The record deal we signed with Warner Brothers was fucking one of those stupid like you know, is the next rock and roll swindle part two, like Sex Pistols part two is the, the way everyone in the UK kind of called the band. And like, we signed like a massive deal with Warner brothers and it was just one of the last straight record deals. And we spent so much time, effort, energy and money making this record. Like we, we recorded at every fucking studio we could in London. We lived at rack studios, which is where Michael Jackson recorded. Um, we did two months there. We went and recorded an orchestra, orchestra, playing parts on the record at air studios, which is really famous for orchestral recordings in the UK. And then we recorded like a piano in Abbey road studio Two because we could at the time we made the record with Garth Richardson. Um, we went, yeah, we, we went to town on this record with him and we finished the record. We got to the end of the touring cycle. Frank left, went into the studio with Wade to do the other bits. And then like, we got to the end of recording that third gallows record, and everyone in the band was like, this is the best thing we've ever made. And I looked at it and I was just like, I think the other one's better. And for me at the time, I, I was in a really bad place at the time when my brother leaving the band, him and I had a really fractured relationship that went on for many years after he left the band. And I think I just carried a lot of that weight with me. And the music industry for anyone who, who doesn't play, it's fucking relenting. And it, it's hard it's hard work to be in the industry sure. when things are tough you know when it's yeah. good it's the best thing in the world when it's tough it's tough and i think for me frank leaving the band me carrying on the band with some dude who wasn't my brother who replaced my brother you know you yeah touring you spend all of your life living out of a suitcase in someone else's fucking pocket um and i was doing that traveling the world with my brother and we had my other little brother, Johnny would come on tour with us and he'd film everything. So there was, I've I've got three brothers and yeah, so we'd, I'd most of the time I'd have two of my three brothers on the road with me at all times, seeing the world together for the first time. And after Frank left, there was some fractures with what was going on with Johnny filming some stuff with us. And I kind of just felt, I felt super alone being in a band with guys who, were the next step to being my brothers but it just yeah. it didn't feel the same so I was living with my now wife then girlfriend in West Virginia and I just woke up one morning and I was like I put my six months notice in. I'm out like yeah I'm done we're gonna play Reading and Leeds and when we finish playing Reading and Leeds I'm gonna wash my hands of it and I'm gonna figure out what to do instead well and it's so
0: funny that it's so poetic that it ended at Reading and Leeds you know the two you know arguably the largest rock and roll festivals in england you know i mean you yeah. have glastonbury yeah. but glastonbury it's not as it's not as rock as as no, reading like, and leeds anymore
1: yeah. yeah glasto's like glasto's more of like a. It's now it's more of like a, a pop festival than anything that's what i'm and saying like, yeah but now yeah. i guess the thing with now reading and leeds is kind of the same reading and leeds is, is going yeah, down that's yeah true. it's like this year the headline is Billie eilish Headline yeah. and Reading and Leeds. It seems this
0: like year. download is the only Down- thing. That's-
1: yeah, download yeah. is the big rock festival now, and like you know, that's for me. That that was it. It was always like this thing of like I'm going to play Reading and Leeds. They're going to be my last shows with the band because up to this point, we'd played Reading. I think every single year I'd been in the band gallows had played or we'd gone and done like a secret show as like the rats and we'd go and turn up and just no one would know it's us but it's one of those like worst kept secrets ever everyone fucking knew it was going to be us playing we just go and play the show but then when i ended up putting my notice into the band do this like six month thing where we'd all sat down we'd all spoken about what was going to happen how we were going to do it and i ended up not actually playing anything after i think a week after i got an email from the management and it was just like the band have made a decision they're gonna continue without you, you're free. And I was like, oh shit. That's not how I thought this was gonna go. <laughs> wow. Well, well, that's a drag. You said you said it, you best, man. I mean,
0: bands and I've talked about it a lot on this podcast, it's fucking hard. Yeah. And it's and it's not just physically hard, because let's face it, when it gets to a certain level, it's not very physically hard. Yeah. It is emotionally hard almost impossible sometimes especially like you said if somebody is is somebody you you don't like and you have you are tethered to them <laughs> yeah. and you've got to see them every fucking day all day that's when it gets really tough
1: yeah and like for me i was the youngest member of the band by a couple of years so like the rest of the dudes in the band were like five years older than me nearly and like I was the youngest guy in the band Frank and I at the time both straight edge and of us drank so it's like a couple of guys in the band love to party two dudes in the band don't love to party right. and it, you know it just it makes for a, a difficult thing to do and a lot of people they romanticize what being in a band is about you know that rock and roll lifestyle and for most people who have toured the world and have done lots of touring they can tell you what a fucking airport looks like and what a venue looks like exactly <laughs> you know and if you're lucky you get what a couple of hours free to run around whatever city you're in and try and see something or go and buy souvenirs for someone before yeah. you've got to be back for sound check and then it's straight into the show and then out of the show is load out and then you're straight in the van or the bus to go to the next place. So, you know, it, it's one of those things that people don't people don't understand and realise what you actually have to, what parts of your life you have to give up to maintain the life to actually go and tour religiously and relentlessly for, for months on end and you know everyone goes through these like arcs of it's great it's fucking shit it's great again it's shit again and you just hope that by the end of the tour you're leveling out on and up so that you right. can look back at it and with rose tinted glasses and go yeah that was fucking fun let's plan the that next was great
0: <laughs> well i do i do remember that about you and your brother specifically on days off in like japan specifically we all yeah. went and hung out and you you guys both carried cameras with you and that's not unusual to carry cameras. you guys took photos of everything. And they were really good photos. I remember seeing, seeing them like you would send me ones like with me and it, I would yeah. pose at somewhere or whatever. And
1: I was like, God damn, this guy's a really good photographer too. You know? <laughs> and he, like, he sent me some photos recently of um, that graveyard. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that Japanese, he's, he's yeah. got photos of the graveyard with the sun setting i'll dig them out and i'll send them to you mm. because like it was like as soon as he sent them to me i was like fuck i forgot we did that and yeah. it was like the, one of the coolest things ever to go and spend a day with a bunch of new pals yeah. that we'd only just met in a fucking crazy graveyard with god knows how many ravens that just descend yeah. on this graveyard when the sun comes down it's like it's the stuff like that that touring is all about. It's those experiences absolutely. and those memories that, you know, they live with absolutely. you forever and the friends you make when you're on tour. Like we met for the first time in 2007, and We're still friends now and we're still on this podcast. So it's like, exactly. that's what touring's about for all the hard parts that come with it. The relationships you build with people on the road are relationships that will take you for the rest of your life.
0: And that's absolutely the truth. I have 30 years in this and it's all of my friends are people I know from this. And to quote Brian Baker. He just succinctly said one time, I said something about. He, he said some referred to somebody's name and he goes, Yeah, you know, I know them from punk, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and like from just punk. And I was like, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you yeah. <laughs> know. So let's transition a bit. So, so the band, you, you quit the band, and I know you went and worked at a college, but let's leading up to where you are now, you currently work for Marshall, which I think yes. is is rad for you. But I think it's also very beneficial for them because my biggest gripe with a lot of companies is they don't have guys a lot of the times, a lot of the times they do, but a lot of the times they don't have a guy like yourself that has the unique experience of being someone like we we just said, that has traversed the planet and played shows to no one in a van and then a show to everyone in a bus. You've gone the whole gambit and And now you're working for the most ubiquitous famous amplifier company of all time. So I just think that's awesome. And I'm really proud of you and congratulations.
1: Thank you, man. It really means a lot. Like, you know, this, the the company means the world to me. Like they've been my favorite amps for forever. Like they were what I toured with like all the time. Like my JMPs, like you can see the rack behind you. I've got more in the corner over this side and I've got more in the corner over this side. But yeah, for me, like, When I got the opportunity to go and do some bits for the company, so like you said, you know, I I spent eight years working in education and my, my kind of time in education while I was playing in other bands at the same time and doing like freelance recording production work was I had this job of like a curriculum developer. So my job was to look at how you can marry where you finish your education with when you start industry there's a big learning curve to go from finishing studies to actually working in the job so it was what can we do to bridge that gap so my job was like in getting people to come in and do master classes and to do talks about industry and like we put trade shows on and stuff where we could just get kids in a room and just say to them here's the people you're going to work for in the future. Don't fucking talk to me. Go and talk to them about what they can do for you and what you can do for them. That's what it should be. And at the time, it was interesting to do it. And then I got a phone call from a friend who I worked with after finishing gallows, I ended up doing some work in like a youth recording studio, teaching kids how to record. And a friend of mine just called me out of the blue one day and was just like, uh, so I've got a job running a studio at Marshall amps in Milton Keynes. Uh, any chance you can help me learn how to record again? Cause he'd been out of the industry for a while. And I was like, yeah, man, I, I can do that. Come on down. So he came in, like we did a recording session together. And then he called me up a couple of weeks later and was just like, you know, thanks for your help with that like it's been really like helpful and like all of the stuff you've given me afterwards with like the contacts it's been wicked and he went I want to pay you back I had six months to get the studio up and running before the first band comes in to record and he's like they're now coming in in seven days is there any chance you can come in and help me get the studio actually running so I went in as like a pro tools expert to help get the desk to talk to Pro Tools and make it talk to the room and do some test recordings with them and make sure everything was up and running and support Adam, the studio manager, basically whatever he needed for a week to get it going. While I was there, I I met a bunch of the people that work at the company and I met um, the commercial director at the time, who's now the managing director. And we just got on really well. And he liked my background. He liked my education background, my performing background being in gallows and was just like how would you feel about coming and doing some hands-on experiential stuff for us so i ended up going in and doing like a a series of Masterclass workshops where we just did like under 20 people in a room and we did one on the music industry we did one on an introduction to recording one on like advanced recording techniques and one on introduction to live sound and they went really well the company loved what they did people gave really good feedback on it and i actually have my wife to thank for me getting the job because after my first session there g came to the first one to, to come and watch it and like Alex came over and he was talking to G and she was like, you know, are you happy with what Steph's done today? And Alex was just like, yeah, we're really happy. This is exactly what we wanted from him. And she went, well, when are you going to give him a fucking job then? <laughs> oh yeah. And I was like, I stood there and I was like, Oh fuck, this is going to go one of two ways. And luckily it went the right way. Did a couple of sessions for them. And then he just sent me an email. and was just like, what's it going to take for you to come on board full time? I can't stop thinking about what your wife said. Tell me what you need. So I gave him a list of what I wanted, what I'd need to make it work and did my final two sessions. And then he was just like, right, offers on the table. We want you to come on. We want you to be the head of education for the company. It's a job we've never had before. And the idea behind it is to support bands on the record label at Marshall, the live agency at Marshall. And it's also to look at that next generation of musicians and what can we do to inspire and educate that next generation of musicians to help solidify the company for the next 60 years of its history. And like a year and a half later, and I'm fucking loving life, living best time, having my dream job. It's amazing.
0: Wow. That's man. It can never happen to a better guy. Thank you, man. And, and also as a lifelong martial devotee, as you well know, we've had many conversations about it. You know, for me, I have a relationship with Joel at Marshall, Joel Menen, and uh, shouts out to Joel, but having a buddy, like a guy I knew before you worked at Marshall very well, like we just said, we spent, you know, we were in Kyoto 17 years together yeah. <laughs> and as well as everywhere else in the world. But, um, it's just, it's just awesome. It's awesome. When I heard that you started working there, I was, it was almost like I had gotten the job. I was just like, you know, <laughs> you know, fist in the air, like, fuck Yes. Um, I'm so happy for you, man. And I'm happy for them. Like I said, I mean, I think it's great that a company has somebody like you on the inside. You know, you yeah. can give them a fresh, like a really interesting perspective as to what it is like to be a real, you know, a musician actually doing it on the other end, like the guy that's using their product. And that's an yeah. interesting perspective.
1: A hundred percent. Because like, you know, up to this point, the company, like... They'd never had someone like me be involved in it. And it's really good because while I sit and job head of education, my job kind of moves across multiple areas i work with the marketing department i work with our music division and the studio bringing people in and doing recording sessions and artist development sessions with them but then i also sit in the r&d meetings talking to them about my experience playing and what the gigging musicians want and need and like bringing people in to do focus groups and chat to them about what they're missing in their rigs what they could look for in their rigs what in our arsenal can help and support them what we're missing and what we could be doing to help so it's it's a really fulfilling creatively job you know i I was nervous that i I was gonna miss the touring side of it because i've had to stop the bands i was playing in now because this is kind of all encompassing i'm getting everything i ever wanted out of it from spending time in the studio songwriting with people and doing pre-production through to sitting in Board meetings about what our next roadmap of amps for the next five years is gonna right. look like.
0: <laughs> well, you know, and it's also proved a thing that a theory I've always had that when you tour like you and I have, you are getting on-the-job training for so many other jobs. You yeah. you know, you know what I mean? You are you are an asset to desk job uh, other side of the desk careers. You know what I mean? Yeah. You really are. There's so many companies like Marshall or Fender or Gibson, or whatever that really could benefit from guys like that have done what you and I have done. Um, guys that do want to stop touring, that maybe settled down, had families, had kids, and there could be such an asset to any of these companies, you know, pedal companies, amp companies, guitar companies, or agencies, you know? Um, so I, I just think it's great. You know, And it's, it's, you and I have always talked about my undying love for the, the JCM 900. And, um, to have somebody at Marshall that I've talked at link, you know, before, and we did it before you were at Marshall. We just yeah. both, we both yeah. love Marshall amps and I love them all. I just love that one because if, to me, it's like the underdog. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a special thing, man. That's just so awesome. And I'm so happy for you. And, you know, I love you to death and, uh, and, you know, I'm glad what was it two years ago we uh tim and i came over and did three acoustic shows there in england yeah. and we had you and your wife uh yep. Gigi, uh do acoustic performances with us and so that was toward the end of your sort of playing live situation
1: <laughs> yeah that was like i mean you fucking threw me in the deep end with that one to say the least like, <laughs> we, so um, yeah g and i our band lioness was like a, a bluesy rock and roll band where we'd never done anything like Outside of me having lots of amps on stage with lots of sub octave fuzz riffs going on all the time. And then, yeah, you're just like, yeah, we, we're looking for a band to come and do this. How would you guys feel about doing some acoustic shows with this? And I just said to G, I was just like, fuck, we got to do it. We can't say no. And she was like, when is it? And I was like, it's in like two weeks. She's like, <laughs> what do you mean? It's in-? I was like, it's in two weeks. It'll be fine. And she was like, we need to rewrite the entire set to just me and you with one acoustic guitar and me. And I was like, yeah, it'd be, it'd be fine. We turned up at that first show. Where was the first show? Leeds? We I were still so figuring was... out what the arrangement of the songs was going to be and how to play the songs before that show. And like, you guys were on sound checking, and we were in the back and we were just like, should we, should we play the songs one more time? And we played it, played it so fucking badly. And I was like, let's not do this again until we go on stage and just see what happens. And luckily, luckily it worked out. And we had a fucking great time doing it. You
0: guys house. did great. I knew you would. And I'm glad that – I'm glad you did it because, you know, what had happened is, you know, we – I think it was 2021, so everything was coming out of COVID and all that, and we weren't able to go over as planned because of whatever restrictions. But Tim and I could make it over because we love the UK so much just as a show of good faith. Like, okay, we could get over there and we could just do this brief thing. And right before we went over there, Tim hit me and was like, dude, you know, we're playing full sets. Like, we're not just doing, like, three or four songs. We're doing – so." We can't just go up there cold we gotta have like let's make it more of a show an event who, who do we know and immediately i was like well steph you know they they can do it it's fine and then i had so much confidence in you i'm glad you like, had
1: the confidence <laughs>
0: uh, No, know i was like you got it you got it," and you guys killed it it was amazing Thanks, the crowd loved it and i'm so glad it's so special now because neither one of us knew this was going to happen for you yeah i mean i'm sure you'll play live again at some point but you're not currently doing it so I'm just glad we had the opportunity to do it then. Yeah.
1: And it, it was like, you know, for me, it, it was, it was good. Cause I got to show G this is what that life can look like for you. Sure. Cause for her, you know, she's got an amazing voice. She's a fucking phenomenal singer and it's all she's ever wanted to do. So when we got the opportunity to do it, I was like, look, you know, we've done the circuit in the UK. Like this is a chance to go and play with the big boys. Let's fucking get out there and give it everything you've got. And for her, it was a good way to introduce her to what, this life could look like sure and it was like you know we had the best time doing it like we've still we've got that photo somewhere of the four of us in that photo booth in kingston yeah which is just oh, hilarious yeah. because i i've got that at home I feel, i'll find it, and send it to you i want to see but, that. you know when we did that like it just it brought everything together for us and it was just so much fun to go out on the road and like just hang out with friends like for me old friends for her brand new friends yeah and for her to just experience it and then yeah I, I had no idea my journey was going to take me into working for Marshall so for yeah. me now it's like the journey from getting from that period through to where I am now is like it feels like an absolute lifetime ago not two years ago
0: yeah 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 well you've done a lot and you do a lot you've always done a lot no yeah, man, I'm just really proud of you. Oh, wait, before I let you go, I gotta ask. I do it with everything. the The one that got away. So, oh, mate. you've got to have, you know, a guitar, or a pedal, or an amp or something. So, so what, what's yours? You got one?
1: Yeah, I've got loads. 69 Deluxe Gold Top was the one that got away. Really? Yeah, I had a what 69 happened? Deluxe Gold Top. <laughs> I bought it and I loved it. Like, you know, my most of my guitars are Les Pauls or telecasters they're my two jams and i went through a phase of just buying when i was in the the midst of gallows and it was two dollars to the pound on exchange rate i just went through a phase of buying as many vintage les pauls as i possibly could like mid 70s like my number one is like a black 73 custom and that's been my guy for forever like i paid six hundred dollars for it And it was cheap as fuck. Some guy flew over from Paris, met me in London. It was a sketchy deal. And I walked away with this incredible 73 custom for nothing. And that was the thing that kind of set me on this trend of just buying custom Les Pauls. So I went through this phase of like buying as many mid-70s Les Paul customs as I possibly could in every single color I could find. And one day an opportunity came up and this guy was just selling it was a 69 deluxe gold top all original no breaks nothing it was super clean and i paid i paid very little for it for what it was worth at the time and i took it to america we ended up doing the recorded with joby for that third that ep the gallows ep (laughs) with it yeah and like i remember playing it and the whole time i had it i was just like fuck i don't want to break it i don't want to damage it like this isn't really something that I can I can vibe with the right way because I'm just fucking scared I'm gonna break this thing that you yeah. know, in a couple of years' time is gonna be worth a lot of money. And if I kept it, it would definitely be worth a lot more money than I sold it for. Right. And that was it. I just one of those things where I couldn't appreciate it the way I wanted to. My 73 Black Beauty, I've had the neck snapped on it three times, I've put it through a fucking wall. Like, it's got battle scars everywhere. All right. But I don't care about damaging it because the damage has already been done. Now it's just it's just going into surgery again to get fixed, and then I'll bring it back out again until I damage it again. But that one, it was in such good nick that I was just like, I don't want to be the guy to put the scratch on it. Whereas for all my other gear, like that 2204, so that 50-watt JMP behind me, I sold that and I bought it back again. I've got others like um, in fact over the last few years I've re-bought back a lot of gear that I sold to other people that's come up online and I've bought it back again um so like that that's been my my go-to recently is going down the route of finding what I've sold in the past and when it pops up on my like Facebook marketplace and just drop a message and I'm just like how much do you want for that thing let's talk And I've, so I've you, you sold
0: back. the go- you sold the gold top
1: I sold the gold top I sold it to um to a shop in in London, like a, a shop called New Kings Road Vintage Guitar Emporium. It's like a, a proper proper old place where like they had loads of like Richie Sambora's guitars and stuff like that. And there, just right. so Like,
0: you know, oh, the, I know the, the players. I, yeah, I think I know that's that's it's that street. Is that the street where it's all no, guitar stores? So
1: that that's Denmark Street. You're thinking of Den, this that's is right. Like, that's right. This is like the other side of London in like Hammersmith Way, and I bought. I, I actually bought like a, I bought from that guy i brought a 75 the tobacco burst custom that you were asking me about on that last run of shows Um, oh yeah 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 i bought that from that guy and then i ended up trading that in for one of my artisans i think because i've had like six les paul artisans they're like my favorite guitar in the world um and I traded it, bought, bought that from him, traded some other guitars in the meantime. And then when it came time for the gold top sale, I messaged him and he was just like, I would love to sell that for you. And he got me a really good deal on it. So I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to reinvest who- it. I've got no idea who it went oh. to. It went to the shop and someone in the shop bought it. But it's one of those, like if I had the chance to buy it back now, I'd 100% buy it back because there's something about those 69 Deluxe. When you just play one note, Don't know what it is. The mini Hummer, they just sustain forever. It's like sustain for days. And it just, it's so rich sounding. It's got the bite that you want of like a Telecaster, but it's also got the warmth of a Les Paul at the same time. And I don't know. It's one of those. That's the, that's the one that got away.
0: There was something special about those deluxes. I remember there was one in a pawn shop when I was a kid, it was a gold top and I wanted it so fucking bad. And then I had an obsession with them forever. But you know, the reason I had asked you about that Tobacco Burst custom is because Tobacco Burst customs are not – that's an odd-looking custom, you know. They didn't yeah. do any Tobacco Burst customs. And I'm definitely a Les Paul custom guy as well. I've, I've had, I have I standards. I have great standards. But, man, I just – there's something – and it's only aesthetics. I mean, they do play different as well. They sit yeah, yeah. different. They're heavier, you know, whatever. They, they do sound different. But, man, it's all aesthetics too. It's just like the custom is like the grand piano of guitars, you know.
1: Yeah, and that's that's it for me. It's always been like – there's something about it. The first one I ever had was like, it was actually a Chinese knockoff that I had, but I didn't realize I'd bought a Chinese knockoff early on. Like I went into a shop in Denmark street, found this guitar and it was cheap. And they were just like, yeah, this is a a great Gibson. And I was like, Oh, awesome. Why is it so cheap? And they went, Oh, no reason. I was like, okay. And then found out later that it was a fucking knockoff. Um, but it was just a black custom. And when I found this one, this has been this has just been my guy forever. Every song I've ever written pretty much has been written on this 73 that I've got that like, yeah. has now been destroyed so many times. And customs were my thing. There's something about the way they look, the big diamond in the headstock. Just, That's they, the thing. And and they do. When you put it on, the thing about a Les Paul that I love, you know you've got a guitar. The weight of it, they are heavy as fuck. But yeah they just feel right in your hands and then on the other end of the scale is a telecaster which is the complete polar opposite to that sure. but for me somehow feels the same the the two guitars together that's it i fully agree
0: with you i'm a less i'm a telecaster and a les paul guy and i think it's because of the boxiness of the telecaster the, the yeah. it's not contoured it's not easy it kind of makes you earn it you know what i mean yeah um, 100% I, I'm with you on that. I think we've had this talk before, too. Well, anyway, okay. Well, I will not take up much more of your time. We're at about an hour. I love you, buddy, and it's so good to see you. I love you, too, man.
1: It's so good to see you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely, and good luck, and congrats over there at Marshall. I can't wait to come over there and see you there. Yes,
1: come hang out in our studio.
0: Yeah, and just I'm going to take a whole bunch of stuff with me when I leave.
1: the best part is the fucking we've got a museum when you walk into reception on the first floor is like a mezzanine and it's just a museum and we've got like number one in a glass case in the museum we've got like one of jeff beck's guitars to the right hand side of you we've got a prs Fuck. that was made for Jim by paul reed smith like you're gonna love it man you're gonna love wow. it
0: everyone heard it right there you just offered me all of that <laughs> stuff for free and i appreciate it
1: <laughs> all right buddy
0: We'll uh, we'll talk at you soon, Steph. Thanks for doing this, man. Thanks, man. All right, buddy. Thank you. Bye. Me and Steph, Steph and me, you know, to be a hick about it, everything a British person says sounds cooler with a British accent. Am I alone in that? Just me? So there it is. Yeah, you know, again, I, I just couldn't be... Uh, happier for him and happier for Marshall. Honestly, you know, for me, it's so cool to be able to call my buddy up and go, I have this, this, and this issue. And, and there's these things, because I'm always going to use Marshall amplifiers, you know? Yes. I am a profiler guy in some instances and I, I do other things and I try to roll with the times because the times are moving and uh, technology is always moving, but man, I'm a Gibson guy. I'm a Marshall guy. And always will be. If you're listening to this podcast and you're a guitar player, I don't have to plug Marshall. And chances are you're a fan. But I will plug the lovely folks over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. Just all the wonderful things they do. Check out what they're doing at jimdunlop.com. I'm going to leave you with some of Steph's guitar playing. Uh, This is Gallo's song, uh, London is the Reason. There's some really cool uh, stuff in the beginning that Steph and I were talking about that he just sort of wrote that he said a lot of people come up to him and talk to him about how to play it. But it's just one of those things that he did, which is some of my favorite things in in recorded music is when some guy is doing something that he does that's sort of, yeah unto him that uh, he can just pick up and do. And then other people have a hard time doing it. It's like, well, I just do this thing. And you know, it's just something they sort of created out of their own noodling around. I think that's what makes moments like that so special. So check that song out. And you know, again, thank you so much for listening to the Heroes. I'm going to keep doing these and I really appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you soon.